initiative how yes. to do everything at simultaneously sometimes and then take a break because <laughs> it's hard not to i definitely get into that rut where i'm yes. doing the twitter updates for, I don't trust any corporate media, but I don't yeah. trust any mainstream media, certainly. Mm-hmm. You know, reading about, like, what's happening in Minneapolis right now, Center, and yeah. it's hard to, you know, where does one get to the point where it's like, oh, just by me reading about this, I'm not necessarily sure I might be sharing it with people, but I'm also not. So where's the where's the point to kind of not necessarily disengage, I guess recognize one can't take on yes. everything at the same time. It's interesting because this is the thing that I keep pushing. So I do a lot of anti-oppression work and anti- and particularly anti-racism work. That's really, um, really where I focus a lot of my energy. And mm-hmm. I just I just taught this online course. Well, I have an online course that is available for people to take uh, oh. at their leisure. Um, but I did uh, back when it launched simultaneously facilitate a series of conversations to go along with it. And um, one of the things I push folks to do is say, it's okay to choose the thing you're going to focus on. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is terrifying to some folks because they're like, but then I can't do all the things. And I'm like, if you try to do all the things, you're not going to do them well. Yes. And if you choose the one thing and do it well, chances are it will end up connecting with the other issues, right? Like, there's a... because everything's connected. Exactly. There's an LGBTQ church that I've done a little bit of work with in Fort Worth. They are an... um, Because, I mean, God bless anybody who's doing LGBTQ-affirming church work in Fort Worth, Texas. Mm. That is amazing work. Um, and they invited me out a few years ago to do a little intersectionality workshop with them, uh, partly because the pastor was feeling very concerned about the fact that they weren't doing enough around Black Lives Matter. Um, and she wanted the church to recognize that they needed to broaden their focus. And in the mm-hmm. course of the conversations I had with them, at some point I said to the pastor, hey, if you stay with your focus on advocating with and on behalf of LGBTQ folks um, for basic civil rights in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you're going to end up dealing with homeless trans youth. You're going to end up dealing with the intersection of black and gay and trans issues uh, around police brutality because um, trans black folks are dealing with police brutality on a higher level than than other folks. If you're doing that work well, you're gonna deal with immigration issues because there are so many queer and trans immigrants um, being abused by the immigration system just a few miles south of you. Um, You don't actually have to say, we're gonna do this and this. If you do the one thing well, it's going to force you um, to deal with the other issues. So I don't know that we have to apologize for saying, here's the thing I work on and that's part of how we build out our solidarity. I think when we try to do all the things, it can be really depleting, really demoralizing, and incredibly lonely. So I think that there's a value to us connecting with other folks doing the thing we work on. Um, yes. That gives us energy as well. So that's kind of, 
a thing I've been talking a lot about, and it's, like I said, terrifying to folks to hear me yeah. say that. Because yeah. it feels like, then I can't do all the things. And I'm like, how, are, how well are you doing all the things right now? <laughs> right, right. That's, thank you for that. <laughs> Maybe it's permission giving. I think, I like to think it's empowering. I like to think that we bring more power when it's concentrated, and there's a value to that. Oof. So now I'm thinking about, you know, which areas. I'm definitely someone who likes to, uh, I don't necessarily likes to, but I feel like going from either place to place or subject to subject in terms of yeah, just being aware of what's happening. Oh, yeah. I think that's valuable, though. I mean, it is to know the, know all the stuff, sure. Mm -hmm. And to be okay with the fact that I can't be the lead person on every single thing is also oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> I, I personally do not want to be the lead person on anything. Well, yeah, that's um, fair. Just, you know, just like wanting to show up as I can. Yeah. Oof. I think for, for some folks, it's just uh, the, just recognizing and witnessing what's going on. It, it, there's, there's so much. So you know the other do I have time to do one other tangent? Because I know this has been like tangent after tangent already. Sorry, can you repeat that, please? Is it okay if I do one more tangent? Oh, you can do many more tangents. <laughs> Don't limit it to just one. Use I feel like time. I've done a lot of tangents already, so that's great. Um, so, I, you know, it's interesting because I think um, wanting to be doing the right work sometimes mm. influences us. And I mention yes. that because, like I said, I do a lot of racial justice work, but as far as my work in the streets, um, the work I do kind of in movement spaces and public spaces is much more around worker justice. Mm -hmm. um, and I mention that because I've gotten arrested with fast food workers on more than one occasion, largely because they've said, we need a clergy person to risk arrest with us because if we get taken to jail, um, we want someone in that space with us oh, because it reduces again. the. Oh, sorry. Um, it, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, Roman. It's so hard. I apologize. Can oh, you not no, hear me? No, at all? please don't. Please don't apologize. It's the technology. <laughs> um, you were saying that you have been arrested with fast food workers because they said they need a clergy person. Yeah. So yeah. So fast food workers have said, if a clergy person goes to jail with us, the likelihood of abuse goes down mm. considerably and because mm. they know we have a public outlet. So I, I have done that on more than one occasion. When mm -hmm. the movement for black lives really uh, took off, a number of my friends were in the very center of planning some of the actions that were really disruptive, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I got invited to a rally one time, and it was only once I was there that I was like, oh, the rally's a decoy for the fact that they're going in to shut down the, um, the courthouse uh, or to disrupt uh -huh. activity in the courthouse. And so all of my friends are sitting in a circle in the middle of the courthouse while I'm out at this rally. And I had total feelings about it. I was like, don't they know I'm down for the cause? Don't they know that I would risk mm. arrest too? And then I was like, oh, actually? It's okay that my primary place where I do the biggest, boldest work 
is with workers, and they know that. And so they've yeah. said, hey, for this one, just be a crowd builder. We've got it. Um, and so there was a little bit of me that was like, oh, I was worried that they didn't see me as essential to the work. They didn't see me mm. as willing to show up for them in that way. And so I, I had a moment of kind of confronting the fact that um, my mother's favorite kind of Bengali saying uh, that she and I quote to each other a lot is, it is not enough to do the thing. It is being seen to do the thing that matters. Um, and I mm. think I have internalized some of that, right? And, yes. and when they say that, it's like, it's not enough to wash your hands. The family has to see you wash your hands Got for it. it to count. Otherwise, they'll make you wash your hands again in front of them. Uh, nice. And, so, and mm. so I realized I had internalized some of that. Um, and so my desire to be seen, to be in solidarity with the movement for black lives, was getting in the way of the way I could actually be useful. Um, yeah. So I've been thinking about that a lot lately is how much of me wanting to be a part of all these things is me wanting to make sure people know I'm the kind of person who mm -hmm. shows up for those mm -hmm. things. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just going to keep showing up for the people who want me to show up. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll, I will, and I will uh, take my position in the back of the crowd in the other places. Yeah. That's important too. That's quite relatable. It makes me think a lot about ego in terms of activism, yeah. which I know is isn't often a topic of conversation, you know, I think especially for us white folks where there's yeah. that like white savior piece that comes in and also just other I think also which folks online too, where it's that the cause people who end up making it more about themselves than about what they're fighting for. Yep. and how to kind of detach from that. And I think also part of that's just due to what we've been taught, where we haven't been taught about solidarity and communities working together. We've been taught about, we've been taught about this one leader here and there. Um, I remember growing up learning yeah. about Rosa Parks and not learning about the, that the bus boycott had been ongoing within it for a long time. Yes. So I think it very much leads people, uh, myself included, to be like this idea that, oh, it has to be just this one person of really working with one another to do it together. Yes. I think one of the reasons that William Barber is one of my heroes is because mm -hmm. anytime somebody calls him the next Dr. King, he gets yes. really mad. <laughs> yes. It's not just that he's being humble and he's like, no, no. He's like, no, that is not how movements work. Movements right. are destined to fail if you make one person the center of them. Um, yes. And so I'm really grateful for that uh, wisdom and that modeling. Um, mm -hmm. And even so, we have a tendency to do it. So here I am being like, and that's why Dr. Barber is my hero. <laughs> 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 so yeah, it's tricky. Uh, uh, there's, uh, there's so much good. Hello? Yeah, I can still hear okay. you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Fun with technology. Yeah, there, there's so much there's so much here to discuss, certainly. And I think also just with organizing via social media now, and then what's safe and what's not safe with surveillance. And in some ways, I think, perhaps I'm taking this conversation in a different direction, but when I've heard or read about organizing 
in the 60s and 70s with, oh, people were just making photocopies and there wasn't so much surveillance and people didn't have cell phones. And so in some ways it was easier to get away with things. Not to get away, but like easier to organize. I mean, there was surveillance then, but like not to the extent that there is now where, you know, our phones could be listening to us and uh-huh. there's cameras out on every street corner. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. And... Um, yeah, it's fascinating. I've been watching some of the conflicts that are playing themselves out within the modern-day civil rights movement, uh, mm-hmm. where people are dragging each other and people are defending yeah. each other. And somebody recently, somebody who had lived through the 70s, through the Black Power movement, was like, y'all, this is just an old-school co-intel-pro strategy. Yeah, um, to get everyone to fighting each, each other. other. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's been really interesting to kind of watch people say, I am 100% sure that this has been, this conflict has been generated um, mm-hmm. to to diminish the power of the movement. Yes. Um, so I do think that it was possible to dip your toe in and back out um, in the 60s and 70s and be a little bit less visible. Um, mm-hmm. I think it is still very possible today to do that um, because I think we still get to choose the level of engagement and uh, that we, yeah, we get to choose the level of engagement and the level of risk in most of the actions we participate in. Mm-hmm. So, and it's interesting because I, I was trained in faith-rooted organizing by Alexia Salvatierra, and she always makes us talk about democracy. And she's like, you can say what you want about all of the ways that democracy doesn't work in this country. She's mm-hmm. like, y'all, I used to organize in the Philippines. Mm. You don't know what not democracy looks like. Mm. Um, and so there's a certain element of, if you are risk-averse, there are still places in the street for you. Um, because there are actions that um, that run a low risk of being surveilled in those ways. So I kind of yes. feel like there's still plenty of spaces for risk intolerant folks to participate if they want to. Um, yeah. And I also think that there are horrific things happening to people that don't need to be because of the police state, right? Like Seattle's of a course. great example of that. Um, or what's happening in Minneapolis right now is a great yeah, example yes. of that. So and what two was things happening to be in true. Portland last summer. Yep. Oh, I said Seattle and I meant Portland. I'm. Oh yeah, the, yeah. Stuff all happened in Seattle, Seattle too. too. Yep. But and Portland then, was ongoing for yeah. like a month at least, more than a month. Um, so yeah, and what's happening in Minneapolis now also. You know, it's interesting because I'm really grateful to some of our movement elders for making sure that we pay attention to global solidarity, even Mm. when we're doing very local work. And I've got a student in one of the classes I teach who's from Burma, and Mm. it's caused me to pay a lot more attention to the news going on in Burma right now. Some some people would call it Myanmar. The people I know who are activists call it Burma because Mm -hmm. um, the history of it, as long as it's been called Myanmar, has been wrapped up in... um, police state violence, Um, although both names are okay, I think, depending on who you're talking with. Um, But what's going on there, day after day, whole families are showing up in the streets. I mean, Mm. the 
they, I think I have seen that over half of the country is engaging in rebel, uh, in protest actions against the uh, the military uh, coup. Mm-hmm. That's mind blowing to me. And the yeah. things that are happening are horrific. They are yeah. targeting children. They are blowing up families. The yeah. things that the military is doing are very, very reckless, and they, those actions are meant to convey we will be indiscriminate in our mm-hmm. punishment of your resistance. Mm-hmm. And even so, millions of people are engaged in public acts of resistance. Um, and I think it's really important for us to be paying attention to what it means to fight for democracy, and particularly in light of the fact that um, for those of us who have paid any attention, Aung San Suu Kyi was a huge heroine of a lot of hours when she was imprisoned, and then once she became prime minister, president, I can't remember which, um, she started collaborating with the military and doing harm to uh, minoritized groups in that country. I'm sorry, Aung San Suu Kyi, uh, the, who was a, resistant, uh, a resistance movement leader in Burma, uh, mm. and she wasn't allowed to go and get the Nobel Prize because she was imprisoned. Um, mm. And then she became the leader of the country, and everybody was so excited. Um, mm-hmm. And then she ended up letting the horrific violence against Muslims that has happened in Burma mm. over the past uh, five years she she permitted it to happen, and I think we were all shocked. And so she is a very imperfect leader. And during this political, uh, during this coup, she was imprisoned again, and people are marching to demand her freedom. And mm. to me, that's actually a really important for us thing for us to sit with as movement folks, because right now within U.S.-based radical leftist movements, there's a lot of, I call it um, purity politics. Mm, There's a lot of only wanting the perfect leader, and none of us is. Yes. And so to watch Burmese people risking their lives and their families' lives to demand the dignity of a woman that they know has, has participated in some horrific stuff is important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important for us to pay attention to. So I'm learning a lot as I'm paying attention to some of our movement siblings around the country. I know last year everybody was talking about um, how we needed to learn to be water um, in the same mm-hmm. way that our uh, movement colleagues in Hong Kong were doing. I think we yeah. have some things to learn from our, our uh, Burmese family as we do movement work now. Indeed. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. It's not something that's on a lot of Americans' radars. I think it's my proximity to, I mean, West Bengal, the region of India that my father's from, is not mm-hmm. that far from Burma. And so okay. it's just a little more on my radar than a lot of folks in this country, probably. And I mean, all the more reason to continue talking with one another. Also, it's just important to get accurate information. Like, I've few I didn't have a full sense of what was happening. Right. And it's just. Of course, it's so just to get like firsthand uh, experience yeah. on that is just the is the best option. Yeah, 
I totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, we need to share these stories with each other. Mm -hmm. oh. I'm thinking also just about how, you know, growing up in this country is just how the history was so very much focused. History, if you would call it that, I guess I, I could say rewritten history, focused on the United States and very little beyond that was Europe. So just how whitewashed history became from a, from yeah. a very young age as children, like what we learn about. And then even with the news media and what they talk about and the things they do with it, so I think all just because they want to maintain power. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we have some opportunities to tell a different story. Um, this will be, I recognize that this might be controversial with your audience, and I want to be really clear that what I'm about to say is not a reflection on your beliefs or the beliefs of the show. Um, I also think we get taught a history of war in order to cause us to not learn how nonviolent resistance has actually achieved a great deal mm -hmm. um, on behalf of so many people. Um, and so I, I know that's controversial. I get a lot of flack for it in a lot of the movement spaces I get, because I think a lot of my colleagues think that my commitment to nonviolence is really naive. Um, and I would make the argument that it's a moral, not the moral, but it's a moral stance. But it's also, um, it's also a stance born of data that actually more long-lasting political change at national levels has been achieved through nonviolent resistance over the past hundred years than through violent resistance. Um, that's true in Europe, it's true in South America, it's true in Central America, it's true in North America, it's true uh, across uh, Africa. The one place it's not completely true of is Asia, but the interesting thing about Asian data is that neither violent nor nonviolent resistance yields a significant amount of sustainable uh, nationwide political change. Mm. Um, and I don't know why that is, because that's not my area of expertise. But mm -hmm. um, but I mention that because I think we also get a, and we also get a militarized history that teaches us um, that military resistance is the way things are changed, which mm. also makes us feel smaller and less effective, because yeah. they will always have bigger, better guns than we do. They yeah. will always be able to wipe us out if they want right. to. Right. Um, and so I think that part of the way we get taught history is also a militarized history mm -hmm. that causes us to be unaware of how powerful our nonviolent resistance movements can be and have been. Mm -hmm. Like I said, not a popular opinion in my circles these days, because they're like, you oh. just want to take away our guns, so we can't fight them. And I'm like, eh, I just don't think you're ever going to win with the guns. Mm. Uh, so, again, not a popular opinion. Um, so I wanted to put in that disclaimer, because it makes me a bad anarchist to feel that oh. way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
there's always new ways of doing it. <laughs> Every day I find a new one. <laughs> it's, you know, but again, it's like not like a purity. I mean, it's supposed to be the right. opposite. Right. There are so many different ways and like different yes. experiences. And also every single person experiences the world in a different way. And we all have different, like it's just different circumstances and like how we were treated by fate. Like, oh yeah. It makes it only makes sense that we would have varying ideas and not even ideas. Cause I mean, this is like actual information that you're sharing, but like yeah. perspectives on what works and what's best for you. Yeah. And it's, I feel like it's just like it's going to be, as always, just a diversity of tactics that will Absolutely. that will win. And Absolutely. Yeah, I totally, I totally uh, agree with that. And also, just with the militarization, that's something I harp on a lot. It's just not just the fucking military budget, which stupid ass administration is like. Yeah. Also, plenty of you know can't raise the minimum wage, can't get like <laughs> abolish student debt, can't ensure nope. everyone has housing or food or healthcare, right. but. No, the Pentagon's getting more money. I mean, like, U.S. military is the biggest polluter in the world and also causes atrocities yeah. around the world. Yep. Oh, my point. What was my point? Um, <laughs> <laughs> going off the point. Oh, the, um... Not the, just the budget, but militarism the, in general. Yes, and, like, just how police have become so militarized over the years. And also with, like, Hollywood and movies. And I love movies. I, yeah. I love movies. I'm an actor. And, like... Yeah. So disturbing that like so many of the you know films have started uh, coming back into production again, and it's still this very much like another cop show. It's another war movie, yep. and it's like it's how the military industrial complex is also just pushed right into our bedrooms or wherever we have a TV or a phone in terms of enter- quote unquote entertainment. And even as actors, it's like oh great, I and I personally refuse to audition as a role of a cop. I don't think I'd be a believable cop anyway. But it, it's just like, God, why aren't they? Where's the big hippie movie or something? Yeah. It's, it's like there's so many war movie cops and soldiers, and uh, it's just, it feels, it's just every aspect of our lives, I feel, indoctrinated by this war propaganda. Absolutely. Which reminds me, I think, I know I've already told you this story, but um, I was in Chicago for doing a training when uh, Sorry to Bother You came out. And oh. so I reached out to one of my besties who's an anti-racism trainer with me. And I was like, Yvonne, do you want to go see this movie? Because I really want to see it the weekend it opens. And yes. so we found a place that was showing on the south side of Chicago and we went to it. And after the movie, she was like, I didn't know you talk through movies. I was like, not all movies, just this movie. Because like, as soon as you came on screen, I was like, I know that person. That's uh. my friend. Roman's in this movie. Did you know? I know Roman. And <laughs> And Yvonne's like, I'm trying to watch the movie. I was like, I know, but I want to make sure you see them. Oh. <laughs> I feel so uh, grateful to have been in a film that was directed by an out communist. Like, yes. It's like, I mean, it's I'm grateful to get work anyway, but then to be in a in a movie that was so creative and questioned the status quo. And have ardent leftist messaging. I feel like it was yes. so rare and such a beautiful opportunity, and also that it was filmed in Oakland. I feel oh just my gosh, so grateful totally to, to have that opportunity. What was particularly joy bringing to me was when he gets into his dream apartment, 
It is mm -hmm. the apartment I had always fantasized about living in. It's the it's the same building, like it's kind of yeah. I I call it Oakland's Flatiron Building. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh, look at him. He's living the life I always dreamed of. You know, <laughs> it was really fun. I got and then he's you know he's going out for drinks at the bar that I used to hang out at, and it's all just yeah. 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 As well as it being such a prophetic film, it was just so on point. It was great. Indeed. And as, Indeed. And had a great soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I was super excited that you were a part of it. I was like, it all makes sense. That's the perfect casting. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, I loved it. It was like, yeah, no, no chance. Yes. That's great. It's, and so oftentimes on films, they, you can't wear any buttons or any shirts with right. logos or anything. And I, right. You don't see it in the film, but I have like a messenger bag that had like a trans liberation now button. Oh and it was totally gosh. fine for me just to have, even though it wasn't on screen at all, it was still just felt more, I guess, humanizing just to yeah. be um, able to be more myself. Yes. Rather than stripped down of any individuality. Yes, absolutely. Were you in, do I remember that you were in the scene where Kamau was there as well, or am I making that up? I would don't believe I was there okay. for that scene. I was in one of the, some... the office scenes and then the protest scene. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I couldn't remember if you were in uh, in the mix during that scene or not. But uh, Anyhow, it had a lot of cameos that wouldn't have maybe been exciting for anyone except people from the Bay Area, but they were pretty great cameos. Oh, yeah, for sure. Hopefully there'll be, there'll be more soon. Absolutely. From Boots Riley's. I yeah. hope so. It ended on a cliffhanger. I'm waiting for the sequel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, Army Hammer, speaking of uh, of on-point casting there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <sighs> anyway, I just <laughs> thought of that recently. I was like, oh, yeah. Boots being the villain, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. Just out of curiosity, are there other films that you've been really proud to be connected with? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's me being Um, I mean, I've I've been always grateful for Dark Horse's work. It's so smart and competitive, and there's not as many productions up here as there are, sure, uh, like in L.A. or New York, certainly. Yeah. And then, especially as background, it's very. And then, even for me, like as a you know someone who's on the max masculine end of the spectrum and white like i have more options i think for roles than other folks so even with that um it's still just very limited in terms of getting cast in anything so yeah. um, um but like as far as like nothing to the level of sorry to bother you that i feel like i was so proud of to be yeah. affiliated with or something i was so excited about yeah. um um I mean, maybe, uh, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm thinking right now, and it's nothing that, like, there was that show called Chance on Hulu with Hugh Laurie. Oh, neat! Um, Get to meet Hugh Laurie. Here. Um, I was in a scene where I was, like, behind him at a book signing. Actually, there's a photo of it. A still that ended up being an Entertainment Weekly, so it looked like I oh was at gosh. a friend fest. So it looked like I was, like, doing, like, a lot in this, like, <laughs> and you know we're always instructed especially like talking to guitars and right. so, um, 
scared. And so there's that right. part of me that's also like, eh. And that was also in like so I was like tempted to talk to him, but I didn't say anything. So I was just kind of looking through books, and he was looking through books, and that was that. <laughs> um, and then there was this other show, which I think didn't. It was filmed like the pilot for it, which was about this cop who um, a dead cop who unfortunately comes back to life, and <laughs> he uh, didn't. He ended up not filming it. But like the first day, I was like, I it was like I was photographing a cadaver on the beach, as one does. And um, <laughs> the second day, they were filming a person who needed, like, they was just kind of rough. Things didn't go so well. And as far as I know, they haven't made it. It was with Ryan Phillippe. So, anyway, that was something where I was like, oh, I don't really want to be part of uh, another, you know, propaganda-type program. Right. Um, and it is a popular genre. It is. It really is. It's like, oh, I have another friend who's on. Home of SVU, that seems to be, especially for New York actors, a very popular. Yep. And I, I get it. Like, work is work. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, no shade. That's that's the gigs that are going. Yep. <sighs> Although I could actually see you getting a role as a cop. Have you seen, um, gosh, what's the name of that guy? Welsh actor um, who plays... Christian Bale? Nope. My Welsh knowledge is like... I didn't know Christian Bale was Welsh. There you go. Um, I'm pretty sure. I hope I don't get any hate mail from like Christian Bale. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he was at least born there though. (laughs) No, the guy I'm thinking of was... He plays a cop in Bridesmaids. Oh. Oh, that guy. Are you sure? Yeah, he was in the... IT crowd. Oh, that name is pretty Irish. I was sure he was Welsh. I mean, he's in this brilliant Welsh show called Moon Boy. Um, I just always assumed he was Welsh. Anyhow, don't. Yeah, so maybe I'll get the hate mail. Um, And I was wrong here. Christian Bale was. uh, Well, it says the UK. Hey, I was born in England. That doesn't mean I was English. Yeah. Um, Oh wait, he was born in Wales. There you go. You win. Yeah. <laughs> we also have to worry about pop culture knowledge street street cred. Seriously, seriously. So, so for the record, I feel like if uh, Chris O'Dowd could pull off a cop, so could you. Yeah, I would. Okay, thank you. But wouldn't I it be great so, if you like, got to play a cop who was who became radicalized? And yeah, like in a good like, way. Sorry, not the other kind of radicalized. There's a lot oh, of those sure, cops. Sure. I mean, they're already they already are, I think, radicalized. Yeah, so, no, that's why I wanted to clarify. A cop who gets radicalized towards true. good. Yeah. <laughs> like a Serpico type of thing, like turning in the the, the other cops yes. who are causing harm. Yes. Well taking down the system happen, within. I would encourage all the cops who listen to this show to like go out and speak out against your, yes. your brethren who are causing great harm. Amen. Because when, what, what's the saying now? Um, if there are 99 good cops and one bad apple and the 99 yeah. cops keep their mouths quiet, then there's actually 100 bad cops. Yeah, so we need bad. you to be the good cops you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of, all of the police officers 
before listening to the show right now. She'd do that. <laughs> Here's your mom. It just loves like all of the uh, all of the little gripes are about them. My police songs that I play. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> we all have our kinks, I guess. <laughs> that would a hundred percent be a fascinating fetish. I'm. <laughs> Be like taking down a podcaster with <laughs> two thousand followers. Uh, yes, <laughs> doesn't have any I sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. <sighs> it's really good to talk with you. Likewise, Roman. I'm so glad and we got to connect. Yeah. I'm so thing I know a lot of folks don't I mean I'm definitely more of an introvert in general but then this past year it's been particularly difficult I think to sometimes to reach out to people and then I'm not on Facebook much and that's where I think I was able to connect with folks so I do feel like I miss out on overall it's been beneficial for my mental Uh health yeah Facebook has definitely had a lot of difficult times on there but at the same time I do miss out on seeing what people are up to absolutely Absolutely. So I'm really glad we connected. And it was surely because I was like, hey, I wonder if you'd like to come to my show. Uh, So so it was super kind of you to create this space. I'm really grateful. Yeah, it's so good talking with you. I remember you were a guest many years ago. Yeah. We were co-hosting a show together. That's right. So it's really nice just to visit again. That was super fun. It was super fun to get to do it lo- like in the studio. That was yeah. really lovely. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, within a few months, you know, we'll wait for the future. Hopefully, we'll start in again. Yay. Oh, that's great. I'm so grateful you do this, Roman. Oh, thank you. I'm grateful for what you do. Thanks. I'm still figuring out what I'm doing these days, but I appreciate it. <laughs> you are you're amazing. folks and people on really at times can be like really difficult subjects and yeah. to have someone who is as knowledgeable and present about this is just so like it can be it's so healing and also with the book that you're writing will inspire I'm sure many many people I really appreciate that move forward with doing what's right in the world and it sometimes it feels like there's the world is against us and then mm-hmm. you know have a conversation like this and it's like oh there are so many people yeah. Really incredible work. Art, not even just the work itself, but just who you are as a person, making the world a more equitable place. Thanks so much, friend. Yeah. Ah. Well, we'll we'll post the link to the uh, to the to the episode. Oh yay! Thank you. I'm super excited about it, and I really do still hope that you can come. Yeah, definitely. I remember, I, went, I think I went the last time I was at the Hormel Center. Yeah. To be watching this, and then hopefully next year it'll be in person once again. I hope so too. Yeah, oh, I'm well, ready. I'm I'm ready to be fully vaccinated. I'm ready to be at full immunity. I've been dating someone for four months, and we haven't gotten to hold hands yet. Oh. So oh. I'm ready. I'm ready for this all to be over. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, 
really cool and we can hold hands even sooner. Yes, I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much, Shonda. This has been really lovely. I've really had tons of fun, Roman. I really appreciate it. All right, Aww. I'm going to turn my camera on to see if, even if we get a little glitchy, at least I can say goodbye. Yeah, goodbye. really good to see you. You too. Yeah. Love Sending you, you across the Yay! I can feel them. I wish you could send me digital burritos from your neighborhood. That's really what um, I'd like. <laughs> okay, let me work on that. Let me add that to the list. <laughs> All right, friend. I'll talk right. to you soon. Okay, take care. You too. Bye. Bye. All right. Big thanks to Shonda Ja for that wonderful conversation. And on our website at weeklyrev.org, we have a post that will be going up very shortly that has links to Shonda's website as well as many books that she's written and also a link to the invite for Show Us Your Spines a queer and trans BIPOC artist residency presentation, which is happening April 22nd from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. You can find that at twitch.tv forward slash dud sf. And if you would uh, please go to uh, Shonda's website, it is S-A-N-D-H-A, excuse me, S-A-N-D-H-Y-A-J, ha.com and again that's s-a-n-d-h-y-a-j-h-a.com and we also have a link on will be up on our website weeklyrev.org you can find much more information all right we're going to take a bit of an extended music break here and then get back into a few news stories and action items that folks can take um, in regards to pushing back against some of the awful anti-trans bills that have been making their way around the country and also just sharing a bit of information about what's been happening at in Brooklyn Center. So uh, yeah, an excited music break, and then we'll be back in a bit. So please do stay tuned. Every evening, when all my days were pursued, I put my baby, and let's go watch her with you. I met some movies, but she don't seem to be yet, and then she asked me, why don't I come through a clap and have some supper? And let the evening pass by, taking records, this is the groovy I find. I say, yeah, yeah, that's what I say, I say, yeah, yeah. My baby loves me, she gets me feeling so fine. She loves me, she makes me know that she's mine. And when she kisses, I feel the fire get hot. She never misses, she gives it all that she's got. And when she asks me if everything is okay, I got my answer. The only thing I can say, I say, yeah, yeah. That's what I say, I say, yeah, yeah. We'll play a melody and turn the lights down low, so the knock and see. We gotta do that, we gotta do that. We gotta do that, we gotta do that. And there'll be no one else alive in all the world except you and me. Never need you to throw, it's hard to tell you Because I'm trembling so But pretty baby, I want you off of my own I'm ready to leave those others alone No need to ask me if everything is okay I got my answer, the only thing I can say I say yeah, yeah That's what I say, I say yeah, yeah That's what I say, yeah, yeah <laughs> 
Thanks, Emily. Play it, Emily. Got a little bit more information on this data before we wrap up today. So thanks again so much for tuning in. If you go to work, we've got archives of past shows up there as well as articles on the program and links to playlists of our music because play music on the show every every week important chunk of the show. I'm gonna go over some information. There have been numerous protests again for the past couple of weeks. Uh, they've been happening constantly happening, um, but in particular within the last week. Uh, last night there was a weekly Stonewall protest in New York City where people marched for Dominique Lucius and right, and they shut down the Holland Tunnel for over two hours. NYPD and Port Authority cops arrived in big numbers and considered multiple forms of repression, but eventually decided to just back down, and there's some video footage on Twitter. And I share a lot of these uh, articles here on and pieces of information on Twitter, so you can follow me there, at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-A-R. And also in Brooklyn Center, folks have been protesting for nights, and the police have become more and more militarized. They've been shooting tear gas, which has been banned, but they do it anyway. They've been arresting people who come out of their homes in their bathrobes, being like, what the fuck's going on here? And rightfully so. And all of this just because uh, the police need to... Uh, they refuse to acknowledge that they are killing people and are wrong. And then in Chicago, a 13-year-old... Adam Toledo was killed recently, and part of that was covered up. And it's just, it's, there's no, it's just fucking disgusting. I can't say anything about this that hasn't already been said other than that the police should be abolished. And yeah, gonna put that right there. And as far as, um, I see I'm reading an infographic here, and uh, it says uh, U.S. state and local governments collectively spend more on policing than most countries do on their militaries. So here, is that fucking trillion? Is that really? Oh, it's billion. U.S. is at $731 billion over that, $751,400,000. And then for the U.S. police... It's uh, $118 billion that the U.S. spends on police per year. Now think about how much those funds could be to, as things that we've mentioned here before on the show, provide people housing, health care, food, clean drinking water, education, art. How about funding the fucking arts? How about that? That would be pretty nice. So... uh. Again, it feels like things are pretty fucking backwards that the, all the funds, so many of the funds are going to militarization, which causes great harm and suffering. So, Ooh. take a deep breath. And it's, we've got another 12-ish minutes here before we sign off, so I did want to get to, and again, it's, Similar to what we were talking about in the conversation, there's so much to get to, and also everything is connected, uh, especially with uh, state violence. So I did want to get to speaking about ways that folks can push back against 